Y'all, Stages is now sponsored by BetterHelp, and I couldn't be more excited because I love therapy. So I encourage you, if you've had a tough year and a half, <laughs> why don't you give them a shot? You can find a therapist that you can connect with. Their resource is thousands of therapists, well-trained and experienced. You can keep looking until you find someone that you click with. They have customized online therapy. They do offer videos, but they also offer phone and live chat sessions. So you don't even have to be seen. You can only be heard. What are you waiting for? Go to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P dot com slash stages. And for our cast members, you get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash stages. Go, go, go. Go find your healing. Go find your happy. Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P. Hi, I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to Stages podcast. Where we're bringing creation and connection to center stage. I also love when you press record, Mary Lee. I don't know what it says on your end, but I have to press the button. Got it. Got and it. I don't quite know what I got. What do I got? Mine doesn't do that. that button? Really? Do you have to press the got I did. button? I did. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. So you better get it, Joe. <laughs> we both just confirmed and affirmed that we do. Got it. Got I got it. it. Got it. Yep. <laughs> Hey everybody, today's guest is an award-winning production designer and artistic director. He has been nominated for 12 Emmy Awards and has taken home six of them for his work on Hairspray Live, Grease Live, and the Academy Awards. Chances are, if you've seen one of those live musicals on television, this is the gentleman who helped make them a gorgeous. Please welcome artist, designer, and all-around good human being, Joe Chelly. Joe Chelly, the stage, please. Joe Chelly to stage. Hi, Joe. Hi. Welcome. I'm so excited to be here. I am a huge fan of your podcast. Oh, I'm that so is very I have nice. listened to every episode. <laughs> well, I can already tell that you're an all around good human being because I'm looking at sort of what's in the backdrop of you and the background of you. I don't see one Emmy. This is the And studio. then there's my big ego. <laughs> I will say though, nobody enters this office in my home in rural California. So it just kind of reminds me when I have things up and framed, Hey, you did something a long time ago. <laughs> I, I'll no. admit that the statues are right there. Mm. You just uh, can't see them. They're, just they're off camera. High on the shelf collecting dust. Uh, yes. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. So I want to talk about, we met a long time ago in college, and back then you were an actor. So tell us about your journey from being a musical theater actor into what you're doing now, being a, an amazing artist and set designer and art director, and tell us how that happened. Well, I, I want to start by saying that I think, Mary Lee, you are actually a big part of the reason that I'm in the business, in this end of the business. And I will tell that story in a second. I don't think I've ever <laughs> acknowledged this to you, but um, yeah, I went to Emerson College to be a musical theater actor. And around about my junior year, I realized that I was not going to make it as a musical theater actor. I just didn't have it in me to put myself out there on a daily basis and get rejected. I just wasn't ready for that. And um, none of us are. But I finished. Yeah, right. Right. Um, and, and that's not to say I, there isn't rejection as a part of my end of the business now, but uh, it probably at the time uh, it seemed that it was to a lesser degree. I finished my degree in musical theater, but I got a phone call from somebody, Mary Lee, calling one day. I, and at this point, I'm a starving college student. And she said, hey, I got this job for you. I think you might be interested. Um, I've taken this job with the Boston Lyric Opera. It's just, you know, it's some prayer beads and some and some prayer books, rosary beads and prayer books. That's what it was. And I thought, OK, sure. And then you said, well, it pays five hundred dollars. And I thought, well, that's amazing, because as a starving <laughs> college student, five hundred dollars was, you know, I, I just won the lottery. Well, 
it was so much more than rosary beads and prayer books. It was a production of Tosca at the Boston Lyric Opera. And I was suddenly the prop master. And I thought, what have I gotten myself into? And I suspect that Mary Lee might've found herself in the same situation. And that's how she sent the opportunity my way. But I realized, oh, I, I could actually make a living as a prop guy. Uh, and it kind of took off from there. I, I did uh, summer stock. I worked in regional theater for a while. And then finally I said, uh, I had met a TV designer who came to the Walnut Street Theater where I was the prop master for a few years. And, and I was so enamored, like so caught up in the idea that he worked in television. Oh my God. It was like some whole other stratosphere. I thought, this is amazing. And one day he said, Hey, if you ever come to LA, look me up. And uh, sort of the rest is history. I started as a production assistant on, on a sci-fi show called Babylon 5. It's got a big cult following. Yeah, I met some great friends who then I sort of followed into this end of the business, really. I, you know, my I never trained to be an art director. I, it just sort of happened that I, I, I love the idea of creating spaces for people that they can be transformed as they walk into and say, oh, look, this is magical. Um, mm. And yeah, I, I just sort of found my way into this. What exactly does an art director <laughs> do? And yes. I know you're like, because it almost seems like you're the life coach for all of the design elements and all of the creative teams to like oh. bring them together. But every time I see an AD, I'm like, what? If I would ask them, give me a one sentence or two sentence definition as to what that job is. Well, first off, I'm taking that line that I am the life coach for the for the scenery. <laughs> that, that's amazing. <laughs> if I could only life coach my way out of my own other issues. Um, no, I I think of as an art of an art director as being a scenery producer. Um, okay. So while I am an assistant to the production designer, I help them make artistic choices. I am also responsible for budgeting and scheduling and delivering the scenery on time. And so uh, in a lot of ways, it satisfies my left brain, right brain, Gemini mind that, yeah. um, you know, that I can do both of those things. Uh, the control freak in me loves being an art director and the artist in me loves standing next to or behind David Rockwell or Derek McLean or any of those people and say, yes, I think we should make this choice. This is the blue I think we should use, or this is, wow. this is the door and where it should go. The Virgo is going to speak to your Gemini real quick because the Virgo is a bit tunnel visioned and a perfectionist. So my little Virgo mind goes, how in the world does he see the whole scope of things and mm. not get completely immersed in that one little detail of a light or a color or and are you able to early on in a project look and see kind of the whole scope or where it's going to begin middle and end or do you have to take it incrementally as you're creating incrementally for me yeah okay uh, I, I wouldn't say that's true for everybody but i think incrementally uh, I, it's a discovery process right so in my head there's a blurry big picture and i'm going to scratch at that surface a little bit and i'll find oh yeah and there's a detail there i love and that detail may be the reason why i choose another detail on the other side mm. and the, and then it's a you continually layer it until finally i i, I know the picture inside my head i say oh okay i, I absolutely get a sense of what this is going to be Are you a jigsaw puzzle guy? No. You're not. Because the way that your paintings are yeah. so geometric and perfectly aligned. As I was looking at them the other day, I thought he loves to take chaos and make order, which I think in, the, li is... in the whole live musical thing on TV, it is, I'm sure, incredibly chaotic. Mm -hmm. And But I can see that your brain is super organized and detail-oriented. and Yeah, counter to the crazy of the business, right? right. I mean, especially my end of the business. You know, you think when you, when you tell people that you work in television, um, they immediately think of big, fancy scripted series. But I work in variety television where it's uh, it's a little more chaotic, a little more reality based. And so yeah. there's a lot of reacting all the time. And so to the reason I started painting was because I got, I got a little burnt out by the collaborative process. It wasn't, mm. it suddenly didn't feel as collaborative as I had learned it to be, you know, I, I wanted it to be uh, something. And, and this was my way of saying, okay, well, let me bring some order to that. 
right now. I, I need to just check out and work for myself, not take notes from anybody anymore and, uh, and bring some order to that chaos. And this was pre COVID before the universe forced us all to kind of isolate and work on our own. That was a decision you made before COVID. I've been painting, uh, probably for on and off for about six or seven years, just for fun. And it's only during the COVID period that I really start to think, maybe I should focus on this. Maybe this is my retirement plan. Maybe this is what I do to check out of the business. I mean, I, I love the business and I constantly ask myself, is this what I need to do? And I have yet to come up with any other reason why I should go. But I also realize I'm not sure that there's a, that the shelf life of an art director is good past a few more years for me mm. without giving I, away my age, but yeah, um, <laughs> th there is a shelf life to an art director is what I'm saying. And at some point I need to think about what's next. And I enjoy, um, you know, I enjoy painting. You use the word need a lot. Like, is this what I need to do? This is what I yeah. need to feel next. You kind of use that word as the, the gauge or the test in kind of all aspects of your life. Is that how you form the question? Do I need to live here? Do I need to fill in the blank? Yeah, I, I had never really thought of it that way, but I, it's it goes back to our college days, actually, when someone said, you know, you have to know that this is what you want to do, that if you can do anything else with your life, you should, you have mm -hmm. to need to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and I really, you, it's interesting that you pose the question in that way. I've really never thought about it, but, but yes, I remember coming to Los Angeles to visit and thinking, Oh, I need to be there. This is mm. this is where it, this is where my end of the business is going to be. I feel that, um, but I but I had this is the first I've really acknowledged it in that way. Thanks. Mm. So, how did you get into the live TV musicals? How did that happen for you? To sort well, of I jumped at there. that right because I'm still a musical theater kid at heart, right? I, I while I realized I wasn't going to be a very good actor, and I had obviously clearly sold my soul to the devil to work in television, where <laughs> I can, where I feel like I can make a living. Um, I was still at heart a, a theater kid, so I, when I'd heard that they were doing this production of Greece, I, I sniffed around and said, "Hey, what's happening? What's happening?" Um, I'd love to be a part of that. And now I've put myself forward to the producers I know that do these things and say, "Hey, wait." I want to be the musical theater guy in LA. So mm. if you're doing these, because, because it, you know, it satisfies all of my want to do theater and television at the same time. I, I that, that Grease production was so fantastic because there were so many theater people in the mix and I forgot what it's like to work around theater people. Right. And I now, really felt like that product, that was Fox, right? It was on Fox. And before that it was NBC that had um, given some really wonderful strides to bring, I yep. think sound of music and the whiz. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, Pan. yeah, and, and they hit a lot of the elements. So I'm, you know, tired, old musical theater actress. Right. <laughs> but I'm very much like you. I'm very much like you, where the dream would be to combine the two and find whatever that miracle elixir is that still gives you that that live excitement. And Greece for me, was the first one that captured a lot of those elements. I was trying to sort of deconstruct why that was for me. And I liked a lot of the wide shots. Anytime I feel like I'm watching a true proscenium, right? Mm -hmm. Not a close up of somebody's face or, um, but I get to, as an audience member at home, look stage left and stage right and experience so much of the production in a wider shot. Mm -hmm. I find it very satisfying. And then I loved the device that y'all used where they're, the actors are jumping into these golf carts and going to <laughs> whatever, a costume change or the next set that was um, set up somewhere else on the studio. That for me got that sort of, uh, my underbelly was rumbling going, Ooh, I know what that feels like. And even if I hadn't lived it, I feel like I call them muggles. Those that are not in theater or the arts, the muggles also <laughs> understood, right? Oh my gosh. They have to get from that point to that point. They have to change their clothes. Then they've got to jump on set. And when the commercial is over, be ready to deliver the story. And that really replicated a lot of how we feel living our quick paced life backstage that the audience doesn't usually get to see. I don't know how an art director 
finds their place. Like, are you cast? Do you have an agent? Did you know the director? Like, how were you able to find yourself as part of that creative equation? I knew the producing team. And so I, I just simply called and said, Hey, I'm available. I've just come, I had been in China for 10 months working on a really not so successful film, though it was an amazing life experience that I was sniffing around for work and said, Hey, I hear you're doing Greece. What's happening Um, to go back to your point about that crazy energy. I, I think one of the reasons it was so successful in that sense is because everybody also, everybody there also felt that sort of nervous energy in terms of, Oh, I hope I make it to that next space in time. Yeah. Everybody there was just a tiny bit out of their element and, uh-huh. and was just on their edge going, I think we can pull this off. I think this is going to happen. And I've, and I've really come to know in my heart that somehow that energy translates through the television lens. And I, I don't know what it is yet. You know, I, I've worked on some Academy Awards telecasts and we often have the conversation about, are we creating a show for the people in the theater or are we creating a show for the people at home? Right. And, and I, I don't know that you can make a conscious decision to say you're doing it for both. I think you have to lean into one or the other and hope then that it translates through the tube. Yeah, I felt a little, um, it's a very dramatic word, but at the time it seemed to fit. I felt a little betrayed when um, James Lapine sat the cast of Falsettos down and said, you know, we're going to film this because he had worked in both mediums successfully. He knew, he knew all of us and the the drama and the angst and the tears and all that we brought to the Walter Kerr theater night after night. But I think he also knew that it wasn't going to translate as authentically when we were to tape it. And we were very blessed that they were, I think they, they taped at least two or three performances. Mm. Um, and we were going to have a live audience there. So the musical theater girl in me was like, well, what about the thousand people that are sitting at the audience and we are trained to deliver all of those emotions to the last row of that theater? You know, we're still selling tickets. These people are still showing up to experience this piece for two nights. And I feel like I'm letting them down. And he said, I promise you, if you deliver in earnest, what I'm asking you to deliver, they're not going to feel as though they've been left out. They're actually going to feel as if they are part, a part of, of what it. we're yeah. creating yeah. that night. Sure. And so we got these notes and he's like, so Stephanie, in the middle of your song, I'm going to need you to look at camera five, which for anybody who's listening, this is a completely <laughs> different language yeah. for yeah. a theater actor, right? We don't know where those cameras are. We're just living in this wonderful, what I call the swimming pool, the space of the stage is like the swimming pool and you get to wade or backstroke, however you're, you know, choreographed. But when there are specific cameras, mm. you've got to look to that specific camera at the specific time. So I just was so upset and at odds with him. And then of course, when you have to lean in and trust your director or your AD and you look back and you're like, Oh man, they got it so right. (laughs) It also speaks, I think to the challenges of an actor, right. In that, that camera, there's a physical device in between you and the audience. And, you know, you obviously have some clear skill in that you can let that go. You have to work through that or past that to connect to those people who are on the other side of not necessarily the lens, but even just in the theater in the room itself. That's interesting. On the other side of this, now that I've had so many Zoom sessions, maybe I'm so freaking great at it now <laughs> that I can be a massive television film star. I can't wait to go back out and test those skills. <laughs> so Joe, tell me a little bit about how you got involved with the Academy Awards. I, I, I'd fallen into that, honestly. Uh, a friend of mine had been brave enough to call the production designer one day and say, Hey, I'd like to work on it. And as I was her friend, she needed someone to build a model, a, a, a scale model. Like you would see the Oscars builds a model in the same way that any Broadway show builds a model. Um, and, and I was pretty good at that. I mean, I, I sort of found my way into it. And so I started building models for the Oscars and I worked my way up the ladder. And finally, one day, the production designer, this incredibly generous man named Roy Christopher, who, who not only designed Oscars, but he did Frasier and Murphy Brown and mm. as far back as Welcome Back, Cotter, like this brilliant oh, wow. genius. I'm so lucky to have known this guy. Um, he finally said one day, hey, I think it's your turn. Do you want to be the art director? And I went, 
are you sure? <laughs> and he said, yeah. <laughs> and he said, yes. So I just sort of jumped in and, and sort of got lucky, I think. When you're putting those sets together, do you like to, you know, physically be in there helping mm. with the the painting and the moving of everything and like getting your hands on it? Or do you prefer to sort of visualize it, build the models, sketch it out and sort of direct people to what you want? Well, I don't want to get in trouble with my union at this point because, you know, oh, you can't oh. do that. Right. That's not allowed. But I <laughs> no am a touching. very no, no touching, no moving. No. It's hard for me, especially. Yeah, that I mean, would make I, you, me crazy, I would think, if you're an artist and you love that tactile, you know, movement of the color and the textures and all of that. Sure. To not touch it is must be kind of painful. I, I know to look at it and say, mm, that piece is a little off. I just want to rotate it a little bit. And it's so much easier for me to just go up and touch it and yeah. rotate it than yeah. it is to have to explain, to use my words and to have to explain <laughs> that to one of the guys on stage or, or women on stage and say, mm, can you just rotate that? Stop, stop. Stop, stop, right, stop. right, right, right. <laughs> no, I mean, that's probably a little extreme, but it really but, is like six degrees of getting it done. Cause you talk to the stage manager who then calls like, is it the head carpenter who then yeah. asks the, yeah, it's really, listen, I, at this point in my career, I'm friendly enough with all of the people that I work with the, the you know, the stage hands to say, Hey guys, I'm going to just move this a little bit. It's fine. And so Yes, it's probably against the rules, but we have a decent relationship. I'm not here to take any work away from anybody, uh, but I also want it to look cool. Mm -hmm. To go back to your point, though, the, the thing that I really found to have identified with in terms of what I do is that it goes back to Mr. Rogers, as cheese ball as it sounds, <gasps> right? Mr. Ro as a kid, he would take that little castle off the shelf and he'd put it on the table mm. and it came to life, right? And that to me is what I'm doing, right? I'm drawing these little miniature things and then I can walk into the theater and there it is and it's 40 feet high and I brought it to life and uh, that's magic to me still. When you were making your model, you think the Academy Awards and, oh, this incredible um, materials he must be using. Is it a lot like, you know, popsicle sticks and cardboard and paint and <laughs> it is, isn't it? Because that is one thing too. Most like definitely you talk about David Rockwell, a really incredible set designer or Eugene yep. Lee, or, you know, yep. I could do this long list. And that first day when you gather as a cast, you know, a lot of the designers will come forward and show their costume design. And then the set design comes out and it's this beautiful, large box that they unveil. And one day, my very first Broadway show, the designers all walked away to have, you know, bagels and cream cheese and, and strawberries. And I got a little closer. And I, <laughs> <laughs> and I turned it around. And I know I where just, this is going. I just busted up laughing inside because it was, it was toothpicks. <laughs> it was glue and tape and cardboard. Yep. And it's very similar. Like what you see on the front, the facade is so elegant and well thought out and painted and you look behind and you're like oh this is spit and gum and tape but the magic still works it still right. works right and it's magic right and, and absolutely because i i am not a fan of magic at all that, that you say the word magic i i think why is it i can't figure out why that trick works. I know there's a lot, I know in this business because of this business that there's a logical explanation for every magic trick, but I get so frustrated with it that I, I hate magic. It drives me nuts. Cause, Cause you can't figure it out. Cause I'm, cause I'm not smart enough to figure out some of those tricks. Yeah. Oh, Gemini. Did, did you see, <laughs> so there's true. this amazing <laughs> show. It was called in and of itself. The actor and creator was um, Derek Del Guardio. Was it was incredible. Yes. It was incredible. Yes. The idea that the audience walked into the theater, yes. they would right. pick an index card as to how they uh, sort of saw themselves, whether yep. it was like the, 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 um, the teacher, the big sister, mm. the lover, the dreamer. And throughout the course of this hour and a half show, he was able to pick out what seat he could call every yes. single one of the people in the audience, how they labeled and identified themselves. There was a journal or a book where people who yes. had seen the show the night before were asked to leave so that they yeah. would go yeah. home, not see the ending of the show and write it down. I watched it. And then an hour later, I grabbed my son. I'm like, you need to watch this. And, my, <laughs> my son, and the next day I said to my mother, you need to come and watch it. I made everybody watch it. I found it incredibly moving. I like, cried like a baby through it. I did too. Yes. I found yeah. it so moving because he managed to meld the longing of 
trying to find ourselves with the magic of theater and the vulnerability of being human when he would call people up. I thought it was absolutely genius. I'm only sorry that I didn't go in person and see it because I'm sure it was even more magical. To go back to um, all of the uh, set building and the little models and the designs, do you have any kids, Joe? Because your kid will get an A on all the science projects and all of the stuff that all you have the to create. Shadow boxes. To oh yeah, the shadow boxes for Some school. Are you kidding? We're yes. talking straight A's. I am an avowed bachelor, but uh, all the nieces and nephews in my life have been schooled. Uh, let's just say that thankfully for them that I don't live that close that I can just offer critique from afar, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I have some friends close by whose kids, uh, I, I let's just say I've worked on many a school project. Yeah, yes. ding dong, seven o'clock at night. Yes. Hi, Mr. Chelly, can I, you help me with my science? Thankfully, project? those days are over. For yes. those that understand this reference, has Flat Stanley ever your oh, nieces yeah. and nephews? So he Flat Stanley's been to the Academy Awards. Flat he's Stanley's been to been. Grease Live. Yes, he's yeah. been to all those things. Yes, many That's times. Remarkable. <laughs> when you do the Academy Awards, because I know um, with the Tonys in the morning, we do kind of like a complete run through so they can roughly tape it just in case something terrible goes wrong the evening of the telecast. Does that also happen with the Academy Awards? Can you wrangle these A-list celebrities to make that happen? Or do you just do production numbers? What does that all look like? Um, Typically, you just do production numbers because you can't get the celebrities to come back on Sunday morning. Um, They come in and out throughout the course of Friday and Saturday before. And so Sunday is usually just a, a dress rehearsal. Okay. But it is, um, but it is a lot of the same people that do the Tonys. I, it's funny you should say that because I really never thought about needing a backup during the Oscars. But in any of those musicals, we've always cut to the backup at least for a few seconds, just because something has technically gone wrong. I guess I never really really thought about how by the seat of our pants we are on the Oscars that there's not a whole lot to fall back onto. Well, I'm glad I could add to that anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) You never did the Grammy Awards or any other award shows? Um, I have helped out on some of those things in a very sort of short and and quick way, but award season was for a time, there's an award show every other day now, it seems throughout the year, but there was a time when there was a much more clearly demarcated award season. And so mm-hmm. most of my colleagues were on the Grammys or, or something oh. like that. I used to work the Grammy awards. Did you? I, yeah. I was, what? I was, um, the girl in the tight black dress who walks out holding the Grammy and the Get out. Escorts that? them up for many years. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> well, it was no the producers idea. of the Will Rogers Follies that I produced see. the Grammy awards. And so after that. we closed Troika Will Rogers, no, Troika not Troika, um, Cosette. Me. It was Cosette Productions. I had no, I had so no idea. John Cosette, who produced our Will Rogers um, in uh, Branson, after he called me and he's like, why don't you come out and do the Grammys? I'm like, all right. So I came out and it was it was really fun. I mean, you know, they'd fall, you'd wear all the diamonds and they'd follow sure. you around and gather all your jewels after the show. And um, I did it for years. It was really funny. I had no idea. Yeah, I had no idea that he produced theater. I, I didn't know that. I thought he was strictly a TV guy. No. Well, they produced the Will Rogers. I don't know if it was he and his dad. And I don't know if they produced anything else, but I mean, they got a Tony for the Will Rogers follies. And then they they did all the TV stuff. And And is that where the two of you met on Will Rogers? Yeah. 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 That's right. What does your home look like? (laughs) That <laughs> of an artistic director. Well, I'm serious. It's messy. Uh, well, that's your office. That's a whole different ballgame. And even um, that is not messy. That is certainly I cleaned up because I knew chaos. that we were going to oh. zoom this. So, <laughs> 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 it, was a, it was a much different story last night. I, this sounds terrible, but when we're when we're shopping for things, when we're looking for set dressings and whatnot, I always look for things I like. I I, th- I don't know. It's not. It's not. It's nothing special. It's not a particularly designery, but it's. What is I your aesthetic? Like, mid-century modern, or it's a little eclectic. I guess there's a little okay. mid-century. There's a little traditional. Um, I, it's kind of all over the place. I I believe in you know you have to live with what you love, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, it's kind of it's kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Sort of, sort of theater eclectic in some way. I don't. It's, it's a terrible way to describe it. I don't know. No, it's not. No, you can be theater eclectic. I'm, I'm an old prop guy, and so <laughs> you know, I've collected a lot of tchotchkes in my life, and and I've lived with them and loved them. I'm definitely an order from chaos person. Like I, I love doing jigsaw puzzles because 
the world feels messy and then I get to make something pretty out of it. I used to make jewelry when my son was really small because it kept me busy and I liked it because it was lots of messy beads. And then look, oh, lo and behold, I can create something lovely out of Mm. a mess. And that's why I like painting too. It's just like a bunch of mess. And even when I paint, I make a mess on the canvas and then I create something out of the mess. But my house is not decorated nicely at all. Like if you walk in a room, you're like, nothing is put together. Like I can't match stuff up. And it's funny because I can do it on a very small, narrow, sort of tunnel vision scale. But if you open it up too wide and tell me to do a whole house or even a whole room, I'm just not good at it at all. I can't put patterns together and I can't figure out how it works. And I've tried and I'm just not good at it. I wonder why that is. I, I do. You clearly have a, a strong artistic skill. Yeah. You know, you, you know what you're doing. I'm, I wonder why that is that some people, there's a disconnect in terms of the bigger, broader, you know, the, the wider scope of things. I, don't, I, 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 don't... I feel overwhelmed. I feel overwhelmed. It's like, it, it, it's sort of like I've, I've turned off all the news in the house. Like my husband watches news a lot because he has to for work. And every time I have to leave because it feels too big, too broad. It's too much to take in. It's too much. Yeah. I can't sort through it. I need to minimize, minimize, keep it real small. And within my little space where I can keep it happy and under control. But when it gets too big, I feel like I'm reeling. Hmm. Which is really, I, I, I remember, I remember sitting through the dress rehearsal of Greece and, and, I had a pretty good grasp on where we were scenically. You know, we were all over the studio a lot, but I was watching the director. We were sitting in a rehearsal space and it, no different than what you'd have in New York. It was a pretty small room and they were having to, you know, push cardboard boxes around to rearrange the next set for the next location, whatever. And I was watching the director thinking, how in God's name are you able to figure this out? And he said the same, something that really struck me was, well, we're just, same way you do it. I'm just going to do it one piece at a time. We're just going to, we're going to connect the pieces at some point, but uh, I'm just going to chip away at one little bit and one little bit, and we're just going to layer it together and it's going to work. And mm-hmm. and I just, I was kind of overwhelmed by it for him thinking, well, how, how do you even know what you're looking at here? There's kids are running everywhere and there's boxes happening, but he seems He's to not be worried to- at all. And, and I, and I think it probably goes back to the same thing. You know, if you started with a small section of your house and then connect to another small section of your house, you're going to bridge the gap at some point with a blanket or a pillow or a tchotchke. And no, I've tried. You may- I, we <laughs> okay, redid cool. the bathroom last year and I, I was like, this is a disaster. I quit. I can't. <laughs> you mean I have to pick out, you know, knobs that match faucet. I can't please. I don't know what uh, it is. It's really funny. I have a mental block, Joe. Hmm. I need you to come here and fix All it. All right. Anytime. Me. I'm very much like what Joe said. I don't get intimidated, even though with earlier in this interview, I had said that the Virgo in me has trouble looking at the huge picture, but if I understand what the space is and what the parameters are and feeling safe, right? Because I know those parameters, then I can be like, oh yeah, that maroon chair in that room matches the tapestry in that room. And then that connects the rug in the corresponding bathroom. Then that's where I start. And even though I'm starting in three rooms, it's still just a one element, which is the color or something. And I'm okay. I can't do from chaos like you, ML. I can't Mm. have Mm. a table full of beads and actually figure out what, how those are all going to go together. I have to start from clean piles or files or uh, compartmentalizing things. Mm. And then I start pulling it apart and it creates a much more larger, creative, abstract picture. And it seems like you go exactly the opposite. Yeah, it's really interesting. I love discussions like this because I love trying to figure out how and why different brains work in different ways, the different angles and approaches. What brings my brain to do it a certain way? Are you born with it? Is it your experiences? Is it how you're raised? Is it a failure that you never got over? What is it that brings you to the citizen's place? It's funny because that when I called you, Joe, to go way back to the beginning of this interview and, and offered you that prop guy job. <laughs> Yes, that is what happened. Like, I don't know how I can't remember how I ended up getting that job. And I went in there and I was like, wait, I I have to go to like (laughs) stores and find stuff like, no, 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 this is not the job for me. And so I said to them, look, I'm not going to do this job, but I'll find somebody who will. And I I, (laughs) it's so funny because I completely have forgotten that memory until you just crazy. I I, as we were prepping for this, I thought, well, shoot, I don't think I've ever acknowledged to Mary Lee that the reason I'm kind of in the business is because of her. 
It's so I'm, funny. Don't worry. I don't blame you. It's I'm happy. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> well, then maybe you could just ship one of those Emmys over here and I'll put it on the shelf behind me for all my interviews. I would like that. I have to do this test with you, though, now that we're talking about brains and seeing things differently. Do you remember, was it last year or the year before that it was all about this online test of looking at the dress and whether it was blue and black or yeah. white and gold? Yeah. Do you remember yes. that test? I do. Yes. I saw white and gold. I saw white and gold. Yeah. I think I saw white and gold. Okay. I, I, I feel like I often see both of those things. And so I, d- I don't remember specifically because I, I remember, I think I remember seeing a third version that nobody. No way. Okay. Ready. Yeah. Here it comes. Oh, but I see blue and black right now. Yeah. That's purple and black to me. Yeah. <gasps> and see on yeah. my phone, it's complete um, white really? and gold. Hmm. So maybe, maybe it's just the way the light hits or through what screen you're looking at. I don't know. I've never understood that test. So with your painting, you now create on your own. Are you um, looking to, or maybe you already have a show at a gallery, or are you looking to sell your work? What's the next um, stage for you? Um, it's, it's something I'm struggling with, actually. I'm, I'm still very green to putting my work out and my paintings out into the world. Um, but I'm realizing that the stuff, the work I'm creating is somewhat fragile. Uh, mm-hmm. And the idea that I could send something out there that could be wrecked or is not, as I like to say, actor proof is a challenge for me. When I'm putting scenery on stage, I know it has to withstand a certain amount of wear and tear. Mm-hmm. And so that this could go out and, and be dinged or nicked or mishandled or broken uh, mm-hmm. is, is a real struggle. I actually recently uh, participated in a small show in New York and I was thrilled to have a piece go to New York and it arrived broken. And I was gutted. Like I, I wasn't going to get to the piece. I wasn't going to be able to fix it or touch it myself. And I realized that what I sent them is not what arrived and was not what was going to be shown. I had some great friends who managed to fix it or tweak it or, or, or it was presentable. It wasn't embarrassing, but it was still very uncomfortable. And I spent like three weeks just wandering around going, I, I got to figure out a way to get past this. And mm-hmm. so it, it is having an impact on the kind of work that I'm going to continue to do. I've got to figure out a way to make it more TV friendly or actor proof. Is it mixed media art? Is it, what, what do you? Uh, you know, with? I started working uh, with something called encaustic paint, which is a wax based pigment. Um, encaustic goes way back to the, uh, the, the old mummies where you see portraits painted on the mummy that was usually done with wax. Huh. Um, Jasper Johns is a very famous encaustic artist. He's an artist who uses encaustic paint. Um, I started with that and I've now since taken that and sort of tried to lift my paintings off the panel so that uh, they're dimensional and become sculptural and therefore, yes, a little mixed media. So that piece goes out to the gallery and it's altered or broken. And I can totally understand why that would um, disturb the artist. I mean, it's a reflection of who you are and I don't want to sound callous, but with so many other works and artistic endeavors that you've put out there that have not been actor proof and have not turned out exactly the way that you wanted them to. um, Why do you think that affected you so deeply? I am often fortunate enough to stand behind the production mm-hmm. designer, right? They're the ones that bear the brunt of the producer questioning why they've made the choices they did, or when the audience is picking it apart. And the, the, the armchair quarterbacking after the Oscars is always epic, right? Mm-hmm. And you see people just second guessing and critiquing all of the choices that someone has made. And so the beauty of being an art director is that I don't have to wear that. Yes, mm-hmm. I may have presented many of those choices to the production designer, mm-hmm. but I can also be sort of slightly anonymous in all of that right. as well. No and, personal and not horse in the race. Having to put me out there and it's that much more it's very scary. unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. For a long, long time, I could never do the curtain speech. If someone said, oh, oh. will you go out and do the oh, really? uh, curtain speech? I would... I couldn't do it. I would completely panic because for me, if I'm out on stage, I'm a character, I'm being directed to do something. And it, it, yes, it is a part of me, but there's also parts of me that got to hide behind the character so that it's not really you that's being critiqued or, you know, it's not like, yes. Okay. Maybe it's your voice, the way you sing a song, but, but the real you gets to hide. So to tell me to go out 
into a curtain speech in my twenties. I, I mean, I, I really would hyperventilate. I'd get rashes all across my neck. Like I couldn't do it. And so interestingly enough, now you get into your fifties and I have a podcast and I'm completely mm. myself and I'm completely putting myself out there. And if you told me mm. to do a curtain speech today, I could totally do it. But it took me so many different stages of my life to pass oh. through in order to realize that it was OK to put myself out there. And my husband always laughs because when I do a painting, I put it out there before it's even finished. He's like, what is it? I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, I need feedback, feedback, baby. And I've, I've, so now I've gone way over. I've overcorrected. I'm in the other camp now. But it's, it is a really scary feeling when you first start to say, this is me. I'm going to put a little bit of me out there. Please don't stomp on it. Please don't be mean to it. It's it's hard. It's uncomfortable for sure. And I, I am at that point in my life where I keep hearing people say you have to lean into that discomfort. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily fun all the time. You know, there's something about being honest when you put yourself out there or meeting the human level, right? So ML, if I don't know, all those years ago when you were doing curtain speeches, if the first thing out of your mouth was, was you have to know I'm breaking out in hives at this moment yeah. before I speak with you, right. all of a sudden that disarms everybody and whatever else comes out of your mouth is on a level of um, just being truthful and maybe Human. that's, yeah. Giving wow. them the that's humanity. The lesson to I need to take today is like when I go out in the world and I'm not feeling as... I like to say thick skinned as people usually assume that I am, that maybe it's just that first sentence of, you know, today is just a little, I'm a little fragile or you need to handle me with care. And then you can proceed with the day being truthful with yourself and them. And um, maybe the outcome might be a little better. We won't show up in the box a little broken. You've really given me something to think about in terms of my work as well. And that perhaps I need to lean into the the brokenness of it. You know, perhaps mm-hmm. I put that into the work somehow so that people see it and recognize it. I'm very much to, one to put up a shield and not really want to show you who I am in that sense. Uh, yeah. So that's a great way of putting your a little bit of vulnerability into the work. I have to think about that. There's this wonderful concept in Japanese pottery called kintsugi, where when pottery breaks, they fix it with gold so that all of the cracks are held together with gold, it ends up being more beautiful in its brokenness than it was at the start. So I love that concept. And when I used to make jewelry, there was a bead called a druzy bead. And when you crack a druzy bead, all these sparkles, you see all the beautiful sparkle on the inside. And then that was the whole point of it. It's like the things that break you allow the inner beauty that we so often hide because it is in a vulnerable place. It allows it to shine through. And then it gives other people the license to be broken through the you guys we're human coconuts that's you're human coconuts (laughs) i want to figure out how to put a little gold on me somewhere somehow that's that's an interesting idea a tooth baby why does it (laughs) why why does it only happen on pottery how come it doesn't happen (laughs) in my mouth (laughs) and now it's time for the five questions Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm going to give right. you a brand new question. Oh, oh no, no. That's so unfair. I've been yeah, prepping no, no. for the last Oh, I know. We oh, know. Oh. Oh. I got my nail polish color all figured out. <laughs> that one will we'll still, still give you that one. Okay, good. Yeah, good. We'll okay. give you that one. <laughs> all right. So if we were look, to look in your closet, is there one piece of clothing that means so much to you and holds on to a particular memory, so a piece that you'll never, ever get rid of? Um, I don't think so. Clothing to me is not doesn't hold any connection really whatsoever. I have some cufflinks that I got from my grandfather that are somehow special and funny at the same time. Um, he was a, the president of the Teamsters local in Boston and was um, oddly, weirdly, in a very cursory way connected to Jimmy Hoffa. And so I have a tie tack that says I'm with Hoffa that I love to wear every now and then. I don't wear tie very often anymore, but if I have a reason to wear a tie, I put that on. makes me think of my grandfather. Did you have a nickname growing up? Who gave it to you and why? Um, Well, with a last name like Chelly, you get a lot of nicknames. It rhymes with a lot of things. And so um, (laughs) if I had nicknames, they weren't good. There was Chelly Belly and Smelly Chelly and Vermicelli and and all those things. So uh, I I was not one to lean into a nickname and and want to wear it. I I actually, most of my friends will just very quickly call me Chelly instead of, 
you know, instead of Joe. If you could speak to your 20 year old self, what would you say to him? Um, if I could speak to my 20 year old self, I would say, don't be afraid to pick up the phone and call people you don't know. Mm-hmm. I see now that kids are, are, I think the internet has allowed the anonymity of the internet has allowed kids to connect with people that they don't know um, in a way that I am envious of. I've mm. been, I can't tell you how many younger students have reached out to me and say, Hey, I'd love to know more about what you do in the business. And as a 20 year old kid, I was so chicken, so afraid, so terrified of that. Like I, I might, I choose not to live life with any regrets, but I might be in a different place in my life. If I had been a little bolder and a little more uh, loose and willing to cold call somebody and say, Hey, I'd love to find out more about what you do and why you do what you do. If you could have any talent or ability, no matter what it would be, what, what would you choose? Well, I feel like this is the default answer for many of your guests, but I would also say that I would like to play the piano. I used to play an instrument or two in school. Um, I never really wrapped my head around reading music in the way that I should have. And I don't know that I have the hand-eye coordination to manage a piano, but I would love, it's a piano somehow speaks to my inside, right? The sound of a piano. And I would love to be able to connect that in a way that I can't or haven't tried hard enough, I suppose. Yeah. It's never too late. We have a feeling your answer is going to be amazing because you're well prepped for this one. But (laughs) if you were a nail polish color, what would it be? And what would that cheeky little name be? I've been thinking about this for a while. There was an old stage designer who used to design for the Ziegfeld Follies named Joseph Urban. And he had this famous blue color that became so famous, they called it Urban Blue. It's a very rich Mm. sort of cobalty kind of thing. Um, I would like to urbanize that. And I would love to have a deep metallic blue with a hint of green in it that sparkles ever so slightly, almost like a car finish. Um, And I would call it... uh, I would call it Joe's Urban Blue, I guess. Ah. I don't, I, the cheeky name was the hard part, but the color I'm locked in on. That's gorgeous. I love I it. it. Thank you. Thank you. It was my such pleasure. a pleasure meeting you. Great I'm fun. Glad I'm you so said glad to yes. meet you. Uh, my, I'm so happy. I'm honored to be included in this crazy roster of other guests. Thank you. So good. It's been wonderful catching up with you too. Yes, yeah. Mary Lee, always. And now a word from our sponsor. Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Our theme song says, love where you are now, but sometimes we all need a little help. I've learned from therapy and in my yoga practice that growth comes from challenges. A good therapist can help you reframe the way you look at a challenge and your life. And BetterHelp can provide you with a therapist that give you some tools to navigate. They offer customized online therapy, either on video or phone chat sessions. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can reach a therapist in under 48 hours. And right now, Stages cast members get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp, so don't wait. Remember, when you support our sponsors, you support Stages Podcast. So log on to BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com slash stages, and love where you are now. And now back to the show. And here's what struck a chord with us. I think his artwork's really cool. It's very, you know, geometric and organized and so opposite of mine, which is just a complete, you know, explosion blast of color. Of color and, yeah. yeah. But one of the things that I found really interesting in this, the conversation is the patternicity that kept coming up. That's something that comes up in my world and in my mind a lot. I'm always searching for patterns in my behavior and in the world around me. And often I'll choose to ignore them in myself and in other people. But I do often see them when he was talking about how he was feeling overwhelmed and that the collaborations weren't serving him. He was then really drawn to his art. And his right. art, if you looked at it, is this structured and patterned. And, and that was why I asked him about the puzzles, because it seems like he just, everything has its place. And for me, I'm always doing that with clutter. So if it's in my house, it's in my mind. I can't mm. do an interview. I can't sit down and do any work. If my office is messy, I literally have to put away my clothes, put away my shoes, clean up my office mm. before I can organize my brain enough to move forward. It's like I have to organize the puzzle first, put all the puzzle pieces in their proper place, because it's true that one thing affects the other. If you walk into someone's home or if you even just look around your own home, you will see that what's going on inside you emotionally and mentally and physically is reflected in the world. 
It's mm. reflected in your space. So when you walk into a room and it's really messy, sometimes if you just pause and ask yourself, like, what's going on? Like, what am I feeling so discombobulated about in my own life? And you can actually find answers. And I remember years ago, I wrote a piece um, when I was cleaning out my basement and it was called the princess of garbage day. And I, <laughs> yeah, cause I was down in my basement and I was comparing like how I used to feel to how I felt in that moment. And I started analyzing and studying a little bit of feng shui and what we choose to keep. And even mm. where we choose to keep it in the house says mm. something about your emotional state. So our internal state of being is totally reflected. And we talk about it in yoga, about cleaning out your inner closet, getting rid of what doesn't serve you. So the practice helps you uncover your physical and emotional baggage. And then the task becomes to letting go of those things. Yes, yes, yes. Well, there's that television show, right? Of the the sort of uh, Japanese woman who organizes and it, you, you lift something up and does this spark joy. If it yeah. doesn't, you thank it for its presence in your life and then you have to release it. You know, I find myself that I'm pretty well organized. I don't know if I'm streamlined, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So uh, everything is in its proper place but you sure as hell are going to see tons of tchotchkes, tons of all these little symbols that bring me back to a moment of passion or sadness. Or When you see the thing that was your grandmother's on the shelf, does it give you pain every time you walk past or does it give you a little bit of joy every time you walk past? And that's the question because I think sometimes we hold on to things that don't serve us because we don't like change. We find change challenging (laughs) and we find change frightening. So we'd rather stick with what we know, even if it makes us feel unhealthy or unhappy, rather than venture into the unknown or letting go of something because I might need it is signaling to the universe lack. So letting go of things that you just don't use, that just don't serve you actually opens up space to allow new to enter into your life, but it's scary to do. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I yeah. see what you're saying. And he jumped. I mean, how many people are going to say, you know what? I'm done being the art director for the Academy Awards and winning <laughs> Emmys. I'm now going to, you know, yeah. go on this unknown journey of yeah. being a visual artist in my own in my own right. Yeah. So, I really respect bravery in ex- that. exploring. Yeah. What he wants to do. What serves him is more important to him than on anything else. And I think you brought that up when you said what I need not what I want. That's right. He's checking in with himself. I really, I I thought that was really interesting. And I I like the way he thinks. I do too. I like the way you think too. Oh, thanks sister. I learned so much from you, Mary Lee. I really, really do. It's mutual. Thank you. I love you. I love you too. (laughs) Bye. So if this episode resonated with you, please follow, subscribe, and share. You can always find us at stagespodcast.net. A big thank you goes out to our assistant and doer of all things technical, Saren Cho. Thank you to Noah Kaiserman and Garrett Healy for our beautiful original music. Melanie Von Trapp for our Stages Podcast logo. Brock Grenfeld, our sound engineer. And Allison Arns, our PR and social media expert. And thank you, our cast members, for joining us today. We hope you come back next week. 